of Opportunity, a Stargate Rewatch podcast. I'm Carrie. And I'm not Rachel. And because Rachel's on vacation. So here with me this week, it's Brianna to talk about Stargate SG-1 Season 2, Episode 4, The Gamekeeper. Yay! Yay! Thanks for coming back and doing this Uh, with me. Thank you for asking. You know how I am about those Daniel Wump episodes. Oh, and this is a good one. This is good. You got emotional. You got physical. You got, oh, it's so good. (laughs) All the Wump in one. Yes. Excellent. Plus allergies. No, he still has allergies. He still has, season two, he still has his allergies. They haven't gone away yet. (laughs) I uh, should have had you here next week for need. Uh, I'm so excited to get to that one, but oh God. that's that's not till next week. So I uh, got to get through this one first. Okay. That makes me want to go back and watch my addict video again. Mm. It's so good. And I'm going to have to do that too. Yeah. I love it. Yep. So good. This whole uh, series, this is, this is like, Four episodes of everything that can possibly go wrong in Daniel's life is going to go wrong in these four episodes. Sam almost shoots him, and he gets held hostage on the, the ramp by a dude with a gun to his head. And yeah. the only way to save him is Teal has to zat him. And oh, that's no, not that even was... a Daniel episode. That's a Sam episode. No, that was before. We did that one already. I know. That's what I'm saying. This whole stretch oh, starting got, within oh, the line of the line do, Okay. Yes. Yeah. Got, yep. Okay. I, I, I obviously, I love this particular time span. Yeah. Um, this is where most of my fanfic that I wrote took place. <laughs> it was along in here somewhere. Yeah. Well, this, this sort of early season two kind of feels like this is where they sort of started finding their rhythm, like with the characters and the types of stories they wanted to tell. And really, after sort of working through the kinks in season one, now we're in season two. Okay, we know what worked. We know what didn't work. There was, you know, some ratings probably coming in by the time they started writing season two. So they knew what the audience was responding to and could, you know, sort of make adjustments for season two and stuff. So, yeah. And it, it would have been in real time, too, because, yeah. like, they're airing the first season while they're writing and filming the second one. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, the the interactions between the four of them, this is when they really start becoming that family that yeah. we and and it's it's a classic. It's it's really a classic structure. Yeah. Um and it 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 works. Like in sci-fi's westerns, you know, you yeah. have the young guy, the mm-hmm. older guy who's a mentor, yep, the woman, mm-hmm. and the guardian. Yep. So you've got Daniel and, and Luke, mm-hmm. Han and Jack, yep. <laughs> Sam and Leia, and yep. Teal'c and Chewbacca. It's a, it's, yep. it's a, it's a classic, like, it's, it's the trope as old as time, and yes. it's, it's a trope for a reason, though, because it works. And, it does work. It yeah. does work. And and this is just that they're, they're really starting to love each other. Rather than just, you know, I'm going to protect you because you're on my team kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We should Uh, probably start. Yeah, we should. Okay. So, as we said, so this is The Gamekeeper. It originally aired on July 17th, 1998. The story is by Jonathan Glasner and Brad Wright with the teleplay by Jonathan Glasner. And it was directed by Martin Wood. 
In this episode, exploring a strange and beautiful garden in a distant world, the team members are trapped, not unconscious, and awakened to find themselves reliving the most pivotal, traumatic moments of their lives. A mysterious keeper explains that it is all a virtual reality-type game. Forced to watch friends and family dying, SG-1 only wants to escape. So we... Yes? Dwight Schultz! What? Dwight Schultz! Yes, we're getting there. We'll get there. I know. Get there. I knew. As soon as I was like, oh, she's going to be so excited to talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) So this episode, we open in the gate room where SG-1 and Hammond are looking over map images that have been sent back from P7J989. Uh, It looks like a very beautiful garden. Uh, They confirm like the air quality and all of that is good and clean and, you know, can support life and all of that good stuff. Active planet. Yes. And there's this large domed structure that, you know, they all say look, it looks advanced, but Tilk does not recognize as being Gould in origin, at least. Do you know in real life what this structure is? The geodesic dome? Yeah. Oh, do you mean, do I know where they filmed yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, like in real life what that place is. Not in uh, I all the All the domes we have down here are train stations, so... <laughs> No, so it is the Bladell Conservatory and Aviary in Queen Elizabeth Park in Vancouver. Uh, so as part of that, so when they go inside, all the plants and stuff are what's uh-huh. there. They're like really, yeah. So, oh wow. Yeah, the set dressing was like very minimal, really. Yeah, um, just the like you know the doors and the chairs and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting, so I was, you know, looking into it. Uh, so it was conceived as part of the Centennial Celebration for Canada in 1966 by Stuart LeFoe, who was the superintendent of the, the Vancouver Park Board and his deputy, Bill Livingston. Their vision was a conservatory full of exotic plants that would be both educational and fun for families. The only problem was that where they wanted to build it sort of uh, on this on the top of, the, I guess there's this hill called Little Mountain in Queen Elizabeth Park, and they wanted to build it on top of that, uh, had just been leased to the Greater Vancouver Water Board, who had constructed a reservoir on top like the year before, like just a couple years before. So uh. it's a giant reservoir up there. But luckily, in 1965, a large concrete top was put over the top of it to sort of cover the reservoir so it wasn't just open. Mm. But they still needed permission to build on top of that. Right. Uh, luckily, they got it. So yay. Um, but they also had to be sure, though, that any construction that they did on top of that wouldn't affect the quality of the potable water in the in reservoir. In the reservoir, right. Like all the drinking water for Vancouver was coming from. So the Bladell Foundation of the Macmillan Bladell Lumber Company donated $1.25 million to help build the conservatory and the dancing wow. fountains and the whole surrounding plaza. The tri- It's called a triodetic dome because it's triangles. Okay, it's called Triodetic, uh, was actually manufactured in Ottawa on the other side of the country, shipped across to Vancouver, where it was erected in only 10 days. Wow. So start to finish, the project took only 18 months to complete. So the dome, the the, the geodesic or the what did you say this was? Triodetic. Triodetic. Because they're the the frame, right? You've got the frame, and then you stick your panel in, and then you put the frame around, and the next two physics holds those domes together. Yeah. Um, and they're like 
indestructible. Yeah. Like, I, I, all the ones around here are, like, roundhouses for, you know, the, the train or whatever that yeah. no longer goes there. Um, these things have been hit by tornadoes. They've been hit by oh, yeah. hail. Yeah. And they're yeah. still there. They're still there. It's a very strong structure, yeah. Yeah. So, inside. It's beautiful, too. Yeah. So, inside the conservatory, there are three habitats. There's the tropical rainforest, the subtropical rainforest, and a desert. It's home to over 200 species of birds who just fly free within the dome and a variety of tropical fish. And it also contains over 500 species and varieties of plants. Wow. So I kind of want to go there now. <laughs> I do too. Is that, yeah. I, I, I wonder, is that the tropical or the subtropical habitat that they walked into? I have no idea. There's elephant ears there. Yes, I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't, I didn't get that far into my research. In okay, it. it's definitely not a desert. No, they're definitely not in the desert for sure. But yeah. um, it looks yeah, very moist too. So yeah, yeah. Apparently, it was like in danger of closing about like ten years ago, but luckily they managed to, like get together the funds and saved it. And as far as I know, it it, it is still there and operational. And yeah. Oh, awesome. So if we ever have a reason to go to Vancouver again. Yeah. I've never been to Vancouver in the first place. Oh, I went once I saw, you know, a, a hotel lobby. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, well, a few other places, but not much because, you know, it was a convention. So. I love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I'll cut that out because nobody's going to know what we're talking about. Oh, um, that doesn't matter. It's inside jokes. And, yes, people will know what we're talking about because we were not the only two people there. No, no. I wasn't uh, even there and I know it. I know. <laughs> um, well, anyway, so back to the show. They're like, it looks very fancy. <laughs> yeah. There's people who could be like allies against the gold for us. And Hammond's like, that sounds good enough for me. So off SG-1 goes to check it out. So they exit the Stargate on this planet in the middle of like a beautiful garden with lots and lots of flowers. Too many flowers because... Daniel proceeds to sneeze his head off because, remember, he still has allergies. <laughs> right. And that is the shortest exit of a Stargate I have ever seen. Like, Teal's shoulders almost got chopped when the event horizon Yeah. They, they're they, very, they're very like, small. So, yeah. obviously, they've corrected the tumbling ass over tea kettle. Yeah. I guess, I guess they figured they couldn't do that for, like, a whole series because that would get old really fast. It would get old really fast. The, and, even if the audience loved it, the actors are like, ice no. Anymore. Can't, no. Yeah. Can't do that for a whole series. Um, so they make their way to the dome, and they enter, and there's tropical or subtropical vegetation all around, and they see people in these, like, dark robes and shrouds over their faces sitting in slash on these weird chair bed-like apparatus, like, they're not quite fully sitting, but they're like reclined and like the legs are bent. It's I, I they don't look very comfortable like they kind of do. But I don't really because they look like they're just made out of plastics. I don't know how comfortable they really could have been for an extended period well, of time. They've got the um the well, kind of like my my pop filter here. They've got the um bendy plastic wire stuff like you know like a mic yeah. stand or something like that and i bet that as they sit there they like sink back into it oh. and it forms around them yeah some kind of like foam kind of thing cushion yeah yeah or like some kind of a you know like a like a like a skeleton made out of um microphone stands you know just yeah and, and it kind of just ones that come out and come around them or are, are yeah. um 
you know, they're really, they bend really easy and, and yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah. So I bet um, they are comfortable eventually. Maybe. Yeah. But, um, so there's also like tubes coming from the machine into the bodies of the people. And Sam goes, I like what they've done with the place. And Jack goes, I'm not so sure what I, I like what the place has done to them. Yes. <laughs> Which I mean, line. I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, but these people do appear to be human and are breathing. Okay. So this is, is the, is this some kind of suspended an animation thing? Like what's like, why are they here? What's, what's going on? It's very confusing. Daniel keeps touching things. He's pulling up people's veils. It's very rude. It is very rude. Uh, but they continue sort of wandering through and then they just so happen to come across four empty chair beds. Perfect how, how timing. I know. And, uh, the tubes, that, you know, we're attached to other people, like, kind of reach out and grab them and drag them in. And then more tubes get attached to their temples. And then SG-1 is seemingly unconscious as we cut to the opening credits. Yay! So, yeah. Something very interesting. The shots. Yeah, the shot of the four of them in the chairs is, like, one of the most iconic um, production photos mm-hmm. from season two. That, that was everywhere. Oh, yeah. That, that high-res version of that. Yep. They just look so amazing (laughs) the the, the way they're lined up in the chairs and everything so yeah and it's definitely like this is alien yes you know if you want to know what our show is about this is not or this is this is alien yes so we come back from the opening credits and jack and tilk are suddenly back on earth question mark um they're wearing like an older style of like fatigues and carrying like older weapons and wearing black knit caps definitely not what they were wearing like two seconds ago and they are very confused as i i probably would be too and jack seems like he maybe recognizes this place but like not quite like he hasn't quite figured out where they are and then we get the whole what happened until recaps you know what happened in the first five minutes of the show when suddenly a truck pulls up and Jack and Tilk raise their weapons and two men get out and Jack and Tilk lower their weapons because one of the guys is Kowalski. (laughs) (laughs) He's back. He's back. Kowalski's back. And the other guy, Jack, calls John, which John corrects Captain O'Neill and says it's Colonel. So this is Colonel John Michaels, FYI. So, yeah, something's really up because Captain O'Neill, what's that about? Um, right. so, and they're like, and Kowalski's like, what, what's wrong? And he's like, uh, you're supposed to both be dead. Like, that's what's wrong. As right. far as I'm aware, you two are dead men. What's, what's going on? Um, so throughout the scene, we learned that apparently what's going on is somehow Jack and Tilk have gone back in time, possibly, and back to earth because they are now in East Germany in 1982. They're on a mission that Jack was part of to extract a Russian agent. And it was supposed to be simple, but apparently this mission basically all went to shit and Colonel Michaels ended up dying on this mission. So John doesn't like that Jack is stalling and Jack's like, I'm either dreaming or hallucinating. So Colonel Michaels just like sucks him in the jaw and appears to like actually hurt, like not just, you know, in a dream and Mm -hmm. Jack's like, okay, well, if that's real, how do you explain Tilk and, like, rips off Tilk's hat, but he, like, doesn't have the gold emblem and he has hair. The and hair, the man. The hair. <laughs> like, I know. It's like, what? 
Oh, that, and that the best is... part is him wandering over to the window and <laughs> catching sight of himself. Yeah. And he just stands there and stares like, what the hell yeah. happened to my head? Yeah. Um, so, and but John Thompson or something, wasn't it? What was that? Sorry. I, 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 they thought he was a guy named Thompson or Thomas. John, Tom. John calls him Thomas and says Thomas. that he's been on the team longer than Jack has been. And so, uh, I'm sorry, what, 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 what's going on? What is going on? Because, right. Because why is Jack, Jack, Thomas. but Teal's not Teal, but he's yeah. somebody Jack so, knew. Yeah. But he's still um, Teal. It's very yeah. confusing. Yeah. And from what I can put together, like, there was never a dude named Thomas on the team that, like, Tilk is taking the place of. Like, he's that just some sense. new guy. He's just some new guy named Thomas, apparently, okay. in this scenario, somehow. So Jack asks Tilk if those like machine things could be some sort of time machine. And Tilk does admit that the Gould have experimented with time manipulation for years, which that's a very scary thought. Right. <laughs> uh, and, and he's like, well, so maybe these guys figured it out, the planet we were on. And Jack's like, so this might actually be really happening. Yes. Okay. Why? And it's like, well, you said this was something that went horribly wrong. Maybe you can fix it. Maybe that's why we're here. We went back in time so you could fix it. And Jack's like, okay, good enough for me. And so they head back and join John and Kowalski. And so they start making their way down to the house where this uh, Russian agent is being kept. But before they go in, Jack stops them and points out a sniper on the roof that it, if I'm interpreting this correctly like did they miss him the first time yes they did this that's okay the, that's the way i read it too and okay. that that sniper was the one that killed john okay that makes sense for then what happens in a little bit so jack points out the sniper that sniper gets taken out uh they make their way closer to the house shoot some tear gas through the windows and hop over this like lone this low <laughs> low stone wall not a lone stone wall a low stone wall that's sort of like surrounding the property but then more enemy soldiers pop up from behind this like hedgerow and start mm -hmm. shooting at them from there and that's where john gets shot this time jack runs over as still provides cover fire and he's got like blood pouring out of his mouth and looks up at jack and is like look after my wife as he dies in jack's arms somebody else dying in Jack's arms, which is like, how many times is that now that somebody has died in Jack's arms? Too many, too many. So um, much for satellite recon. Yeah, so much that, for that. That's what John says. That's like his second yeah. to last words every yeah. time. Yep. Uh, so Jack yells out for everybody to fall back. He and Tilk hop back over the stone wall. When a truck suddenly pulls up in front of them, they raise their weapons and Kowalski and John hop out what like they just like it was <laughs> and they had just been talking about charlie because jack wanted to know why he hadn't jumped the fence and teal was like he was right behind us yeah and then like, what, like, what he, happened charlie to never jumped the fence because he's walking over there truck with a now, dead colonel michaels one theory that would occur to me now, watching this show now, mm -hmm. would be that Jack and Teal and then Sam and, and Daniel on the other side got stuck in some kind of a uh, residual haunting, like a stone tape that keeps okay. playing over and over again. I, it wouldn't have occurred to me in 1999 that yeah. 
to watch it now with all the stupid ghost shows I watch. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's like they're stuck in, you know. Yeah. Yeah. See, I would stuck immediately go to tape. I would immediately go to Groundhog Day. Well, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah. They kind of yeah. cheated and got themselves two Groundhog Day episodes. They did. Oh, yeah, they did. Yeah. 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 This one was virtual. So, yeah. Not really. I don't know. I don't know if it counts either. Um, but so Jack and Tilk are stare, staring dumbfounded at Kowalski and John as we then cut to Daniel and Sam in like 70s style clothing in a room surrounded by Egyptian artifacts. And I must say they both are wearing those clothing very well. I think it looks great on both of them. I love it. I love the wardrobe in this setup. I remember checking out on eBay that mm. leather outfit that Amanda is wearing. Just to see, because it was up for auction, right? Oh. It was a size zero. Wow. She does not look like a size zero. I mean, not that, you know. Amanda was a tiny, tiny thing. Okay, I was a size zero in sixth grade. (laughs) (laughs) And not only was it a size zero, it was a size zero with the double-breasted jacket that was actually buttoned across her waist. To make her look even smaller. Was it like that jacket? 70s? Was mm-hmm. it like an authentic 70s? Okay. So yeah. a 70s yeah. size zero yeah. is not a today With size zero, though. Yeah. She was a total 70s girl. Yeah. Um, and Daniel, very much an eight-year-old. Um, yeah. Parents, unfortunately, let him pick his own clothes. Yeah. Oh, but he looked like an eight-year-old. He did. But, like, it, you could also see a grown man wearing it, though. I think they did a good job of making it look childlike without being precious, if that makes sense. Like, it doesn't look like how they do Michael Shanks's makeup every day for the first four years of this show. You know what I mean? It's not. Uh, yeah, it's like, I do. They didn't I take do. like a T-shirt with a dinosaur on it and right. make it, like, you know, I adult size. There's no I love hugs. No. Um, no I love hugs. Yeah, no. they, but they they did do between the costuming and and the performance. Oh yeah. Which he, 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 you need oh you need to detail scene first so we oh. can talk about his performance here. Yeah. Okay. So we then again get the what what just happened and again no idea but the place looks familiar to Daniel which he then suddenly recognizes as the New York Museum of Art which there is no New York Museum of Art so does he mean like the Metropolitan Museum like do do you need permission to use museum names in TV shows entirely possible because remember um on in on ncis which is based on a real you know crime fighting organization Mm -hmm. in the united states federal government they watch z in in not c in in i think if they're trademarked or copyrighted okay then there would be an issue but i don't know if the met has energy in in, an egyptian does Okay. Yeah, I, they have one of, like, the largest Egyptian, like, collections, like, in the U.S., I think, I believe. It's that, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's the one where they have, like, half of a temple yes. in the museum. Yeah, it's the one where they have the big costume party every year. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they definitely have a shit ton of Egyptian artifacts, so. Okay. Um, so maybe that's where they're meant to be, but, but you know, Daniel's past is still kind of shadowy, so. Okay. Um, 
So we then hear from like off camera what sounds like an exhibit being set up and somebody answers somebody else with yes, Dr. Jackson, but Dr. Jackson's there. So what? And not talking to anyone. And and not talking Mm -hmm. to anybody. So they walk over to see what's happening and he's just like, this can't be real. This, he like, he's like in shock at seeing what he's apparently seeing. And we see a man and a woman inside the room with like workers all around them setting up a large stone structure of some kind. And uh, those are Daniel's parents in there for some reason, standing underneath the As very large type of stone that on. is being set yeah. up is like the roof of this structure. Yeah. Uh, so suddenly that very large stone that's hanging above their heads starts swinging and Daniel yells out for them to get out of there when the chain holding the stone snaps and it crushes Daniel's parents underneath it. And Michael Shanks just like crumbles. Yes. Because he is reliving seeing his parents die, which he first saw when he was eight years old. Also, he now must process the fact that Seth is his father. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, the actor who plays Daniel Jackson's father in this episode later plays Seth in season three. Yes. But, I mean, he's a hottie. So I know, yeah. I uh, mean, I I'll, I'll go with it. Yeah, and it he's not immediately recognized, like recognizable. I think, but I think there's enough of a difference between the two characters. It's not immediately like, oh, hey, that was the guy. That was my dad. That was my dad. Sam, you just shoved my dad through a cave. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So. Yes. Yeah, so now we have horribly traumatic event event number two happening in the show. Oh, my God. Okay, now we can talk about the performance. We can talk about the fact that Michael Shanks, about 28, 29, managed to blink, flip his bangs down over his face, and look back up and be a traumatized eight-year-old in a 30-year-old body. It is amazing. It's he's so good. It's so good. If you did not know before this that Michael Shanks actually could act and not just impersonate, <laughs> this is yeah. it. This is yeah. this is his first big emotional breakdown over anything. And yeah. he's so restrained <laughs> until this starts happening and this starts yeah. kind of like because we know he's an orphan, right? Yes. And we yeah. know he's his grandfather wouldn't adopt, it wouldn't take him in, and his other grandfather was dead, and mm-hmm. he had nowhere to go, so we had foster parents and yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. to finally see the specifics of why he was an orphan is just like, oh. Right. Like, that's. And he was there. He was there to see it. Not just that. That's how they died. Right. But he was there to see it. Right. And witness it. Right. And and, and to, to to Cobra Kai for just a second, when we found mm-hmm. out that Daniel was eight years old when his dad died. Yeah. And we knew that he was holding his hand yes. when his when it, when his dad died, and how traumatic I thought that would be. And why did Lucille let her eight-year-old son sit with his, you know, dying and then dead father? But this is like 150,000 times worse. Yes. Yes. Because there's 
you know, I mean, they didn't do it, but your imagination goes where it goes, right? Yeah. There's brain matter, there's, there's blood, there's shattered bones, there's yeah. people everywhere. It, it was a closed casket funeral for sure. Oh, for yeah. Yes, yeah. that giant That's, pillar came down right on top of his mom. Yeah. And yeah. Oh, God. Michael Shanks is beautiful, by the way. Yes, he is. Oh, oh my God. Yeah. And the transformation Daniel is about to go about to go. This is what gets me about the episode is Daniel starts out, you know, meek, quiet, little, whatever. Right. Daniel. Yeah. And by the end, he is just like a completely different person. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. we got to OK. Yeah. Yeah. OK. So back in East Germany, Jack and Tilgar are still trying to figure out, like, what the fuck is going on? Jack's like, this is this is the past. This has already happened. Can't do anything. But also, mm-hmm. not doing anything apparently won't stop this from happening again. Okay, good point, Tilk. So they go back out to try again. Jack tries to get John to, like, check the hedges, and John's like, stick to the plan. Ugh. So Jack then notices what looks like the pod people standing, like, around the ed- around the sort of, like, the periphery of mm-hmm. where they are, and, like, points them out to Tilk, so... Starting to suspect something's really, really up here. And this time when they run in, after they jump over the wall, Jack shoots the hedges. However, this doesn't do anything because this time the enemy pops up from the other side of the roof and John still dies. Yeah. In his arms. So much for satellite reconnaissance. Look Mm -hmm. after my wife for me. Fall back. Run back over the wall. Truck pulls up. Kowalski and John get out. Jack just like runs up, grabs John and is like, who are you? Who are all these people in black? Like, what's what's going on? And John just goes like, are you looking for a Section 8? Which, <laughs> what do you know about Section 8? I know that H.M. Murdoch almost did Section 8 out, speaking of Dwight Schultz, um, out of the A-team. Section 8 is what Corporal Klinger was going for on MASH when he yes. pretended to be a cross-dresser. Yes. It is a mental incompetency discharge. It was. They don't do it anymore. No. Now there's sort of a whole range of various uh, medical discharges for psychological and psychiatric reasons that are covered by, like, a, there's, like, a number of regulations. Okay, so that's good. Section 8 itself is no longer a thing. Right. Um, but it, it was, was also in 1983. <laughs> yes. It would have been back then. Yeah. Um, it was also, unfortunately, often given to cross-dressers, gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender people to get them out of the military, which is terrible. And as you said, so in MASH, that's sort of when Section 8 became a sort of household phrase, because that was the first mm-hmm. time it had really been used on, like, TV in which, like, the general population was right. watching it. Also, I found out at the age of 17, actor Sidney Poitier, who had lied about his age to enlist in the U.S. Army the year before, obtained a discharge under Section 8 by faking a mental illness during World War II. So, no. Yeah. Well, yeah. he was 17? 17. He's just so, a baby. I know. Yeah. To her with love. Go home yeah. and sleep some more. You're a baby and you need to eat because you're skinny. <laughs> uh, anyway, so suddenly, uh, back on the show, a man in very dec- decorative robes and a very fancy hat steps out from behind the truck and tells Jack that he must proceed with his mission. And here we have finally meeting the keeper. Dwight so, Schultz! Dwight Schultz, yes. Who 
Bree knows as Murdoch from the A-Team. Uh, many of you out there may recognize him as Lieutenant Barkley, Barkley. from Star Trek. Yes. Who, coincidentally, was a character who was addicted to the holodeck. Yep. So he's got this whole virtual thing going on, apparently Dwight Schultz. So Yeah, Dwight Schultz is an AI. I think, oh. um, I, I, yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> And it was like, oh, yeah, he was like the holodeck dude, and now he's, like, controlling. And, like, right, right. He's yeah. too perfect to be human. Yeah. And, okay, right. is it just me, or does he have, like, gold, like, makeup? Like, is he just, yes, like, he covered in gold paint? They, yeah, like, they well, all are. Yeah, his, his makeup, okay. I mean, because you got to remember, we're watching this in, or on, you know, 4K monitors, um and 16 by 9 resolution and yeah. this thing is a 4 by 3 640 yeah you know <laughs> so um it wasn't shot to be super high quality and i think that there were times and you can tell it was shanks too sometimes um where they get a little stage makeup y yeah because they think it's not coming Reading. through right yeah 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 which i mean it does make sense but i was like he's very gold yes <laughs> yeah he so. was he, he was uh he was bronzed and contoured yeah. and yes. <laughs> like, okay um so uh he is the keeper of all this all that was and is and shall be and uh somehow he thinks that this mission is the thing that jack wants most and jack's like yeah watching my friends die over and over again this is exactly what i want to be doing right now and then John, uh, like, in, interrupts, quote-unquote, because actually John has no idea the gamekeeper's there, um, and asks Jack if he's going with them, and Jack's like, nope, yeah, not going. He's going to sit this one out. And the keeper tries to insist that Jack goes along because there are, to quote him, so many fantastic variations that you could try. Mm-hmm. And Jack's like, nope, I'm not. No, this is, I'm not doing this. So he and Tilk go just sort of sit against the stone wall and like sit this one out as gunfire erupts behind them. Okay, so question. So Mm -hmm. according to the gamekeeper, this is the memory that Jack would most like to quote unquote fix. No. Why is that memory not his son's death? It should be Charlie. It absolutely should be Charlie. I've, I've thought that since the very beginning. The only thing that I thought is mm-hmm. because they've got the um the other Charlie, the replacement Charlie episode coming up in season two. They had the Crystal Entity Charlie. Yeah. Maybe they say, just didn't want to keep pounding okay. on the dead child. Plus also would that just be too much for TV reliving the death of a child yeah, by gunshot think, over and over again? Like is that yeah. just too much for TV at this point, even if it is showtime? Uh, yeah, I, and I mean, we have seen Charlie's death. We have seen it yeah. in Jack's mind. Yeah. He and Sarah were sitting outside. They were waiting for Charlie because they were going somewhere, and they heard that gun go off. Yeah. And that is all I need to see. What yeah. What's he going to do? Yeah. I mean, seriously, what's he going to do in that situation yeah. if he starts yeah. out on that step? Yeah. He can't I save mean, him. I guess it depends on, yeah, where that memory would start in, in this gamekeeper setup where would that memory start right i mean it's still something that is inflicting a hell of a lot of psychological damage on jack but i think he's better at dealing with it because he knows he like he can convince himself it's not real he can snap out of the right um, 
snap out of the hold of the the game gotcha. easier okay. than Daniel can. Right. Like okay. he pulls himself out. Okay. But okay, so we'll just take sort of Charlie out of the equation again. Mm-hmm. Why is it this mission? Surely it'd be sometime from like when he was in Iraq and like a prisoner of war. Right. Like, right. Like when he got shot down and broke his leg. Yeah. And so my only other thought was maybe is this like the first mission that went horribly wrong like this where team members like died on him. And that's why it's so strong of a memory. Maybe the start, you know, the first in a chain of events of mm-hmm. missions gone wrong. Right. And I mean, they, they do play a uh, right. Uh, and Glasner did kind of take some liberties with the story from the movie by putting Charlie Kowalski on Jack's team 10 years ago when right. we saw Jack meet Charlie Kowalski in the gate room. True. Yeah. Now, um, Freddie, he had worked with before, but uh, he had not yeah. met Charlie before. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if maybe they couldn't get the actor that played Ferretti. Maybe the actor that played Lou wasn't available. So they chose Jay. But Jay's like a fan favorite. Yeah. Oh, we love Jay. He's great. We adore Jay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If you, if you hand him a beer, he'll talk to you for three hours and then tell his handler to piss off. Yep. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking to people. Yes. Um, but yeah, but it's still- it, it, it fits Charlie in there. It maybe yeah. is his first command. When the colonel gets killed, rank automatically falls to the captain. That's so maybe true. it was his first command and he had to leave one of his best friends behind. Yeah. I mean, that would do it. Like, yeah, having to leave somebody behind like that. Right. That would. Yeah. Knowing that you can't take his body back to his wife. Yeah. Ugh. Okay. All right. I guess I can see this being the memory for Jack then. Yeah. Okay. It's when he actually started, you know, having to deal with command issues and, yep. and making the decisions. Yep. Okay. So uh, back in New York, Sam is trying to comfort a Daniel who is understandably very distraught about what's just happened. And she's trying to figure out what's going on and mentions that her first thought was also a sort of time travel thing. And Daniel's like, don't no, Don't tell me it's a time travel thing. He can't deal with that. Just tell me this isn't real. Just tell me it's not real. And she's like, no, I, I'm pretty sure it's not. Because if this was time travel, because Sam is astrophysicist. Um, theoretical like, astrophysicist. Theoretical she astrophysicist. Time travel. Yeah. And she achieves it. But anyway. Yes. But so what they're experiencing does not have any basis in what they believe time travel would actually function like. Like if this right. were actually time travel, they should either see eight-year-old Daniel there also with them or Daniel himself should have like become his child self basically. Right. So she's like, I'm pretty sure we're just in some sort of recreation of your memory. Like, this is not right. real. Daniel's wearing the right clothes and he's having the right emotional reactions, but he's still a 30-year-old man instead of an 8-year-old. Yes. And then suddenly the dialogue from earlier, like, starts all over again with the yes, Dr. Jackson. And they rush over and he sees the same thing happening again. And Sam's like, I don't think they're actually here. So at this point, Sam thinks they can't even interact with the people who are like Daniel's parents and the workers and everybody. Right. Because it, it, it because it's repeat. It's like, it's, it's a tape. It's, it's repeating it's, over and over. Yes. So Daniel calls out to his parents and like asks them to come out. And 
they can interact with him because they call him Danny, which is just the sweetest thing ever. And they're like, we'll be right out. It's fine. And mom's face. I know. He's like, Danny. I know. She's like, he, like, he is an eight year old child to her at this point. And so he starts going into that thing of, I hurt myself. I'm hurt. You have to come out and take care of me. I don't know what Michael Shanks does with his voice, but he sounds like an eight-year-old boy begging his mother to come kiss his boo-boo. Like, yes, it's he like, does. It, it's, and like, it's, he doesn't, it's not extreme what he does, but somehow he just, you understand this is an eight-year-old asking their mother to come take care of them. <laughs> Right, so he can get Somehow. them out of there, so he can keep them. So he, yes. And um, the, the thing with Shanks, especially through this part where he's getting more and more and, and like, just yes. devastated, he yes. never really cries. No. But his face is wet. It, it, yes. It's just, like, the tear state is constant. Like, he's yes. not crying. He's just His eyes are just oozing everywhere. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And, the, the more upset he gets, the messier his hair gets, yeah. and the crookeder the string of his sweater gets, and yeah, just it, like little things, like an eight. Because when he when he he yeah, one time he's like playing with the string on his hoodie, like an eight year old would, you know? Yeah, yeah. Oh, and just uh, devastating. Yeah, but his parents are like, you can't be hurt that badly if you're like standing up and walking around. Don't worry, we'll be right out. Right. Fortunately, they're not, and the accident happens, like, all over again. And Daniel, for a third time, watches his parents get crushed to death. Um, Sam finally, like, looks around and, like, spots the people in black and, like, points them out to Daniel. And she's like, okay, so this is some kind of virtual reality. And Daniel's like, oh, that's just fantastic. My worst memory. Over and over and over and over again. This is just fantastic. Yep. And... Then he, uh, so he goes, you know, I used to replay this over and over in my mind, trying to think if there was anything I could have done to make a difference. And Sam's like, okay, okay, maybe that's the point. Here's your chance. And then the museum worker from earlier who had been like walking by and telling them that, you know, this area was close to the public, morphs into the keeper and goes, is it not wonderful? Wonderful? You think this is wonderful? Watching his parents get crushed is wonderful. Wonderful. wonderful wonderful and basically like explains the same thing though like to daniel and sam that he had explained to jack and tilk that you know daniel had always wanted an opportunity to change what had happened and now you can and daniel does not like this any more than jack like what's happening to him in east germany right and the simulation starts all over again and mm-hmm. this time Daniel actually just walks right into the room and like grabs his parents by the wrist and tries to pull them out. Somehow again, looking like an eight year old boy in a 30 year old man's body. Yep. And his mom calls over one of the workers who grabs Daniel. Yeah. Grabs him around the waist. Like he's a little kid and like carries him like you would like an eight year old boy. He's a little kid. Grab him around the waist and like just carry him out of the room Daniel just starts crying out, no, 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 over and over and over again as he watches his parents again be killed by the falling cover stone. Yeah. Hmm. And then he turns around and dark Daniel makes a beeline across that. He's like, you stop this. He like demands that the keeper stop this. He is pissed. Now that he knows this is like some sort of virtual reality thing, he's like, stop, stop it. Stop it. And the keeper's again like, nope, not going to do it. And he's like, Daniel's like, okay, I'm not going to play either. 
just like Jack, as soon as he knows this is like a quote unquote a game or something, he's like, I'm not going to play. I will just right. not play this game. Right. So like just walks over the side as the simulation starts again. And we hear the stones fall and his parents get crushed again. And now the keeper's like really pissed off at right. <laughs> Jack and Tilk and now Daniel and Sam and goes, you are indeed an obstinate race. <laughs> but like, oh, Sam, yes. it, Sam was the actually last one to like disengage from it. She was the first one to figure out what it was. But she still, when Daniel sits down and leans against that pillar, she's like, Daniel, you wanted this. Like she's she's still trying to get him to go back in. Yeah. And he's like, no. Yeah, because, I mean, as horrible as this is, it's not her. She has no emotional attachment to what's happening. No, just she's emotional. I I think she's affected by Daniel. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She is so freaking protective of him. She's never, like, more than six inches away. Yes, yeah. But for her, what's happening is basically she might as well be one of the residents. It's just... She's just watching it happen. She's watching a thing happen that she knows is not real. So therefore has no emotional engagement with the thing that's happening. Whereas Daniel might know it's not real, but he still has the emotional attachment to the actual event that really happened in his life. So he's like, I don't care if I can figure. He's like, I mean, he's tried like three times and like nothing is happening. I think he's starting to figure out like Jack did that. Like you keep changing the rules. Because, you know, in East Germany, like, the enemy was in one spot in the first time, and then the next time they were in another spot because they knew they were going to be in that spot. So they keep changing the rules. Yep. So he will never be able to fix it. Right. I do think, though, and I've always thought this, Mm -hmm. the emotional journey we watched Daniel make just Mm -hmm. through, you know, this this segment, starting out a distraught, eight-year-old and then going through all those emotions over and over and over again and by the end he is this like giant ball of fear and anger and grief and mm-hmm. um rage and all, all everything every emotion he's felt is all right there right then and yeah. i think i've always thought if he had not sat down and refused to play his next step was going to be go stand under the cover stone with his parents. Oh, I never thought of that. I have always thought that was the next thing he was going to try because every time he went, he got closer and closer and closer. Yeah. Well, if he goes in there, then maybe there's a chance that they will take him out or you find out if you can really die. Yeah. Because, his parents are dead, so I might as well just be dead with them. Cause exactly. If this is my life now, then I may as well yeah. be done. Right. Huh. That's yeah. interesting. I really do. I think finding out that it wasn't real stopped him from committing suicide. Not that it would have worked because no. the tape would have reset and he'd have come right back. Yeah. But Interesting. Okay. All right. Well, so the keepers are known with all of us. He pushes some buttons on whatever device thing is on his wrist. And then Jack and Tilk are there. So, yep. Uh, and the keeper is very aggravated that Jack and Daniel won't just play along and enjoy the opportunities they've been given. And Jack and Daniel are both like, enjoy? enjoy? What, what do you want us to enjoy about watching the people we love 
die over and over again. You think this is an enjoyable experience? One of these lines was ADR'd. Either that or they had two different scripts. What's that? Which one do you think that is? Because Jack says, what makes you think I want to watch my um, my friends, um, you know, over and over again? And then Daniel goes, or their parents die. So he mm-hmm. just referred to, like, people in general. So I've always wondered if maybe Jack was supposed to say what makes you think people people would like to do this. And then Daniel would finish mm-hmm. with or their parents die. Because um, those two lines don't match. Well, I think it's it's like Daniel sort of interrupting Jack with the. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But he refers to himself in the third person plural. Uh, he says there instead of my. It's like it, 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 they could say that he's disconnecting from it. Right. OK, hang on. And I have he's. This- the transcript. Oh, the transcript. Let me see. Um, do, 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 do. You're going to do the abstinent raise. Uh, why, do, why do you refuse to enjoy the opportunities that I've given you? Jack goes, enjoy. What makes you think I enjoy watching my friends get killed? And then Daniel goes, or their parents die. Yep. Those two lines do not match. Oh, yeah, because Jack is in the first person and Daniel's in the third person. Uh-huh. So either one of those lines was ADR'd or they were two different. They just, they been you know, said two different things in two different shots and they used one half of one yeah. half of the other. Mm. Or, or the really convoluted explanation is that Daniel is disconnected from what yeah. happened and he's referring to himself in third person plural to, to push it away. Right. He makes yeah. it about other people instead of him. Right. That's very possible, too. Yeah. He's got a lot of those little defense mechanism things. Yes, he does. Um, but anyway, so now Jack basically from here on out just starts to insist on just, just let us go. Let us go. And the keep is like, where do you want to go? I'll send you anywhere. And Jack's like, we want to go free. We want to be out <laughs> of this place. Like, we don't want to go anywhere else in here. We want to be out of here. Right. So we do eventually get the keeper confirming that this is a virtual reality-like program. Mm -hmm. The tubes in the chairs are providing their bodies with, like, nourishment and their hedge channel experiences and imagination into and out of their minds. And we also learn that apparently these residents, as he calls them, have been trapped in this virtual world for a thousand of our years, which, as Rachel would say, how does he know what a year is to us? Right? (laughs) Everybody always knows what a year is. Right, Um, and they all speak English. Yes, and they're very excited to see what our brains have to offer. Right. And so Daniel explains, I like how Daniel explains this to Jack, because Jack's like, well, Jack is kind of like, I still don't get, he doesn't quite completely understand what's going on. And so he goes, imagine if you were locked in a room for a thousand years with only a VCR, TV, and five movies. How long could you watch those five movies until you were bored silly? What you wouldn't give for just four more. And uh-huh. that's where they are. Okay. okay, but I have I have I have some questions about this whole thousand year thing. Okay. So if it's been a thousand years and if if they knew it was possibly going to be an extended period of time that they would be in this sort of unconscious state, why were they not in like an and like an enclosed pod? Why is it just like an open to the environment? I, I realize they're in a dome, but still like 
I, I don't know. I always imagined some sort of suspended animation in like a fully enclosed pod. Right. And since they were um, hiding to survive some kind of uh, toxic atrocity that yeah. you know had happened, he, he explains it as our technology got too far ahead of us too fast. Yeah. Um, Why are their bodies? I mean, they're covered. So if the poison does seep into the dome, whatever. But you're right. They're exposed to the elements. Every time that door opens, there's a potential of that contamination making its way inside and they're all vulnerable to it. Yes. Unless one of the things being piped into them is some kind of um, uh, like an antidote to the poison. Possibly. Possibly. But then the other question is, if it's been a thousand years, so have these people figured out how to stop the aging process? If they're well, all 1,040, 1,050, 1,060 years old, like, how are they still alive without a- aging? I, I, like, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> is that another I, thing? I, 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 don't, I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, okay. Uh, I, I know that uh, Kelowna lady does not look a thousand years old, um, yeah. no matter how much makeup they cake on her. She's yeah. they 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 did her makeup horribly in this episode. Yeah. Well, again, uh, I it's you know, I think, like you said, just for TV in the 90s, it probably looked fine in the original right. broadcast. <laughs> right. Right. Would have looked just fine. And then, you know, Canadian actor Bingo, of course, she comes back as one of the major antagonists of season six. Um, yeah. so yeah Yeah. but i don't i mean the keeper tells sam or uh, charlie tells sam that you don't age there you never grow old so yeah like i get yeah so they have to have a way to suspend the body yeah but usually that happens in some sort of stasis some sort of stasis and enclosed where you can control the environment much on a Mm -hmm. much more micro level than just in a dome (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right, right. Like experimenting with freezing people or experimenting yeah. with, yeah, with different ways to keep them suspended, like stop yes. their bodily functions, period. Yes. Yeah. But bring them back from it. Yeah. So, I don't know. Those are just the lingering questions from this little segment of the show. Right, yeah. I mean, it's, it's it, I, I like the concept of the story, you yeah. know, but yeah. it, it it's got its issues. Yeah. There's a couple holes here and there, but it's fun. It's a fun episode. It is. Yeah. That's what we're here to do. Point out the holes and then be like, but we don't care. Right. We don't. We've been watching it for 20 years. We don't give a shit. Nope. Um, But the other interesting thing we learn is that the Keeper can only get information out of Jack and Daniel. He can't get anything out of Tilk or Sam. Apparently, Jolinar's possession still has some undiscovered, long-lasting effects on Sam. Which, um, okay, cool. Can we can we please leave, though? Like, great. That's nice. I'd like to go home. Right. And the keeper's like, oh, no, no, that's not possible. And they're like, why not? Why are, why are you even here in the first place? Why don't you just go out and get new experiences for yourself? Like, oh, no, they can't leave. The whole world outside is completely uninhabitable. It was destroyed by a chemical disaster 1,022 years ago. Well, good news. The plan has renewed itself, and it's a lovely, fertile garden out there. Lies! Yes. Lies! The world is horrible. No, 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 it's not. It's totally fine. No, the outsiders lie. And then the keeper 
monitors all the conditions and he's like, it's still not safe. And he's like, okay, well maybe your monitors are malfunctioning. Right. And then Jack is like, why are you in charge? You're keeping <laughs> them here on purpose, right? Because if they knew the world was fine, they would leave and you wouldn't be in charge anymore. Uh... And he's like, I mean, yes, I did this to keep them safe. And so Jack tries to talk to the residents, you know, just directly and be like, everything's cool out there. You can leave. And then the keeper just like sends them away. Yep. So he's like, oh, that's that's real. That's real mature. Just send them away where we can't Bye talk to the little lady. Yeah. <laughs> and then Daniel's like, well, you might be able to send them away for now, but um, they'll be back because if we're here is the new entertainment for them. Like they're right. going to see us at some time. They're going to find us eventually. And. Yeah, yeah, okay, fine. And then he pushes some more buttons on his on his wrist, and then they're out. And they're back in the dome. And they're no longer attached to the machines. And Sam's like, that was a little too easy. Jack's like, yeah, let's go home anyway. So. Right. We, what else uh, are you going to do? Uh, yeah, might as well go home. So we are back in the infirmary in the SGC, and Dr. Fraser confirms that there are sort of small puncture holes in their temples and in various places on their body that does seem to confirm what the keeper said about like the machines keeping them alive and feeding them and taking away their waste. <laughs> but like, other than that, they're like totally fine. Pupil reactions are all normal. They seem to be, you know, no harm done essentially in the long run. Right. right. So in the briefing room, Daniel suggests going back to free the people that are still in stasis and Jack's not sure it's really any of their business to which Hammond agrees. And Daniel's like, but they're being lied to about what's happening mm -hmm. and okay sure but dr fraser then also interjects that you know they've been in these machines for so long that taking them out could be like taking a person off of life support who like still needs it which i kind of like i, I don't disagree with that because if they've been in this sort of stasis for a thousand years who knows if they could even function on like you know real food and water and just walking right. like who knows what state their muscles are in Exactly. Exactly. Unless and and there, are you what are you freeing them for so they can blow up their planet again? Yeah. Or yeah. leave them where they are forever safe and happy. Yeah. So my only thing with the muscles is maybe one of those things like some sort of like micro like electrical current to sort of keep, you know just sort of shocking their muscles every now and then to sort of keep them from exactly. atrophy. Yeah. <laughs> Work those glutes. Yeah. Um and so Hammond's like, well, the only way to be able to make like an informed decision about that is to just get more information about what's really going on. And mm -hmm. so it's like, well, the only way to do that is to go back into the virtual world. And Hammond's like, okay, go do that. I'm sorry, what? Right, immediately. He's like, okay, good. Go yeah. It, it, like if you didn't pick up immediately the fact that the cadence in their voices are wrong. Yeah. Don and Terrell changed their voices. Yes. And they did like, an amazing job. Yeah. For me, Don is a lot more noticeable than Terrell is. I mean, it's still even slight. It's like, it's just enough to be like, there's something not quite Hammond about Hammond. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so. Way too agreeable, first of all. Yes. Yeah. And Hammond's just like, well, these could be a very valuable ally with very advanced technology if they're able to like, you know sustained life for a thousand years who knows you know what else they have to go on 
And could it really be all that harmful to go back in? I mean, can you die in there is his question. And Jack's, Jack's more concerned about just, you know, getting stuck in there permanently and not being able to get back out this time like they did what they what they think is this time. Right. And Hammond's like, all right, if you're not back in a week, I'll send SG2 after you. Anyway, what's so bad about being in there? It sounds fascinating. You could see your son again. You could go to Egypt and, you know, all these things. And Jack's like, okay, no, this, like, no. <laughs> Jack is like, no, this I is not. I love the way he says it. Like, you cracked. <laughs> Without <laughs> meaning this time to sound like a smartass. You are cracked. You cracked? <laughs> like, and, like, he gets up and, like, pulls back his ears. And Hammond's like, what are you just, like, I'm looking for a mask because you are obviously not Hammond. Jack, right. Basically, Jack at this point is like, we're still in the bad place. <laughs> right. And, and, and. But during this whole thing where Jack is sitting and then he's standing up and then he's Jack and Daniel are shooting each other looks yeah, out the side of their eyes. Every time either Janet or George says something yeah. that's not them. Yeah. And it's like they because Jack being the one to jump up and, and grab and try to take off the mask and all that stuff is awesome. Yeah. yeah. But I think he did it because he was on the end because i think he yeah. and daniel came up with that together without talking yeah yeah there yeah they were like there's there's something something wrong something the is wrong these two look not, at each other right. all yeah. this episode is just yeah. like yeah. dude you know this isn't real right and you it, it, it's it's like it's like um spirits yeah you know jack yeah. daniel are you you well, i don't know are you you okay never mind <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like they, they just know, you know. Yeah. yeah. You're you. They do. They do. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, but anyway, Hammond said he, he will not have any of this subordination and he will give them one last chance to go back and rejoin the residents of P7J989. Uh, I am sorry, the who now? Right. The who what? The who? They never said that word. Dude. They never said that. That's so, Hammond. All them. Yep. And so Hammond orders SG-1 to be placed under arrest, which question, why are they always placed under arrest together? <laughs> I, always, I, 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 I was wondering that room. same thing. It's like, <laughs> and it, I mean, it, have we it, not it's, figured it's out? We put the robots together last season. Yeah. That ended badly. Yeah. Now They're we're putting always... the real SG-1 together. It's going to end badly. A couple years, you're going to put super psyched up with the, yeah. the super SG-1 in yeah. a room together. Stop. Stop locking them up together. They come <laughs> up with shit. They come up with good shit when you do yes. that. Yes. So You have to split the team. If you let the team function, the team will always win. Yes. Which is what makes them so amazing. Yes. So, Tilk, however, it doesn't seem fully convinced that they're still in this virtual world because he thought they could only experience like their memories, their past events. And Sam's like, well, the keeper actually said anything they could remember or imagine. Right. Obviously they can imagine going home and going to the SGC and everything that happens once you return from a mission at the SGC. Right. Because it's a, so, that's a daily thing. It, yeah. Um, so I have to comment on the way that Daniel reacts to being arrested. Oh, he just takes his glasses off and lays down on the top bunk. <laughs> And, and, yeah, yeah, and 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 when they come to handcuff him, he just he puts his arms behind his back yeah. and and looks up at Jack and smiles. Because and he like, knows they're going to get out of it. Well, yeah, but also you look at that face, 
And that is a man who has been arrested at peaceful protests against pipelines yeah. and oh, yeah. waterways area. and, you yeah. know, plundering Egyptian tombs. And he's been arrested before. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's he having no problem with this. Yeah. No. He's like, well, we'll get out of this. It's fine. He, he's right. Not- and he just lays up on the top bunk and looks cute as hell. He's yeah. so cute. Yeah. He's just sitting there, head on his hands, like... Okay, who's going to come up with the plan first? <laughs> Just waiting right. for somebody to offer up something so he can be like, okay, and agree with it or improve on it or whatever. Right. Um, Need a plan. So Do we have a plan? We don't have a plan. plan? Not, not yet, because, yes, they are still in the virtual world. And then suddenly one of the guards that was in the room with them morphs into a Kowalski. And he's like, would that really be so bad? This Kowalski tries to convert, convince them of, like, all the awesome things that they could experience inside the virtual world and everywhere they could go and do all this amazing stuff. And Jack's like, no, I'm not buying it. This isn't real. You're not real. He's, like, not the keeper as Kowalski. He's just some sort of, you know, AI, right. gen- generic AI in the form of Kowalski. And Jack's I, like, and well, since I, you're not- I love Jay's delivery of the, come on, haven't you people missed me at all? Yeah. That was, it's like, aren't you happy to see me? Like, I'm dead, and now I'm not. Isn't that great? Right. Yay. I mean, yeah, but also no. <laughs> uh, yeah, because you're dead, and we sent yes. your skull to Chulak. Yes. Um, well, half, well, part of it. Half your skull to Chulak. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and Jack's like, well, since you're not real, I can do this, and just punches him to knock him out. Yep. Tilk jumps up to take out the other guard, and steal one of the key cards, and head out into the hall where they immediately run into their residence. And Daniel hops down off the bed. It is the cutest yep. little. It is the cutest thing ever. Yep. He just like slides off the bed like a like a twelve year old just whoop yep. and yeah he's so yep. cute. Yeah. And then he puts his glasses on his head. I know. It's like okay, do you need your glasses or not, Daniel? Make up your mind. <laughs> I, I, he needed him in that instance to be a hairband <laughs> to hold his bangs back yeah. so he could be. Cute as hell. Yes. <laughs> so you can remember that this this adorable 30-year-old is also a very damaged 8-year-old at the moment. Yeah. He's so cute. He is. Oh. So so they run into the residence, and basically they, they want to know if SG-1 was really telling the truth earlier about how their planet is fine and it's safe because, you know, that would be great. But then it's like, why should we trust you over like the keeper who like rescued us and kept us safe and all of this. Mm -hmm. And Jack's like, you know what? I'm going to show you. And he like pushes through the crowd. And then Daniel goes to catch up and asks like, like what, like what's your, okay, so we're doing something. So what's the plan? And Jack's like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take him through the Stargate so that they can see what we saw. That is, is my memory. And I'm going to show them my memory. And Daniel just looks so amused that Jack is kind of like playing along with this thing now. (laughs) Oh, it's amazing. Okay. Yeah, well, let's do that, Jack. <laughs> that that look, he's just and 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 it's so big brother, little brother at, yeah. in this moment because like Jack's gonna, gonna going on and on, and Daniel's just smiling and smiling, doesn't yeah. say a word, yeah. and Jack turns around and goes, "Leave me alone." <laughs> yeah, it's great. And Daniel just laughs. I mean, yep. what are you, what else are you gonna do? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I love these two together. So here's a question about sort of the next scene. So they walk into the gate room as the gate whooshes to life. Did Jack imagine dialing the gate or did he just imagine the gate being active? I think he probably imagined the wormhole. Okay. Um, I know that 
he is familiar enough with the computer equipment. I mean, he absolutely, he's watched Sam do it. He's watched, he's done it. He knows how that computer works. Yeah. Um, But I also think that he realizes that he is so much in control of what's going on because we spent the first half of the episode halfway in, in Jack's mind and halfway Mm -hmm. in Daniel's. Yeah. Right. Well, where was the keeper? He -hmm. was with Daniel. Yeah. And he pulled Jack and Teal'c in with oh, them. So they're still in. Oh, I they never are put still that together. in Daniel's head. They're still in Daniel's head. Yes. <gasps> I never. Why did I never put that together until now? I don't know. Oh. Yeah. They are in Daniel's head. Yeah. So I wonder how much of his the amused reactions that he's having is because this is his imagination running things. Yeah. And he's imagining all the ways that he could screw this up or do it right. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Okay. They're in Daniel's head. Yeah. Yeah. So in Daniel's head, they're in the gate room, the Stargate's active and uh, Hammond, quote unquote, uh, is up in the control room, like yelling at them and tantrum. Throwing a yeah, throwing like the worst ever tantrum ever, and shuts the gate down. You were trying so, my patience. I'm gonna <laughs> wait till your father gets home. <laughs> <laughs> it very is much that kind of tone. Yes. Yes. Uh, so Jack goes like run up the stairs, like stop him, and Daniel follows. And Daniel uh, with me. Daniel, yes. Dan, Daniel's always with Jack. Daniel's. Well, always he yells with it. Jack. Yep. Uh, he yells it as they run through. He yes. goes, Daniel with you, me. Daniel with me, uh, Sam and Tilk take off like down another hallway. And as Hammond like runs through the halls and like turns the corner, he morphs back into the keeper. So Now we, we know what's really happening now. It's the keeper. We're chasing after him. Uh, Sam and Tilk run through like another hall and join up with them as we, they chase after the keeper. And he disappears through a door in the facility, but it has the P7J989 point of origin on it. Mm-hmm. Which, the tornado thingy. Yeah, which I don't get why that's the point of origin, because it was the swirly thing that he made for the virtual reality. So how is that the point of origin? But Maybe he changed it, out a glyph just so maybe. his symbol would be there. Okay. Because I'm like, it, it also like looks nothing like any of the other point of origin, like any of the Stargate glyphs. Like that's right. Not, yeah, it's, not, it's not a hieroglyph. It's the, not the least bit Egyptian. It's, no. a, it's like half a tornado. It, yeah. But anyway... So SG-1 follow and suddenly they are back in the dome and staring at Jack in the chair with like the tubes all attached to him. And then the tubes suddenly detach and Jack wakes up quickly followed by the rest of SG-1 and they see the keeper run out of the door and chase after him. So we're out. We think we think we're really out for sure this time. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, okay, if you've been lying to them, like, because the garden is very well kept. Like, it's not just, like, overrun. It's right. very well maintained. It's, it's trimmed. It's, it's weeded. Trimmed. It's beautiful. Yeah. So, apparently, the keeper has been coming out here to tend to the garden. And he's just been afraid to let the residents out again since they destroyed the world in the first place. If he lets them out again, who's to say they won't just do the same thing all over again? Mm-hmm. And they could, I mean... According to him, they could always leave those doors like the one SG-1 went through were like all over the place. And they're like, well, yeah, but they had to know that they were there in order to use them. And the keeper's like, well, no, they do know that they're there. And here they all come. Right. The residents are out and walking through the garden. And so then we cut to sometime later and 
SG-1 is getting ready to head back home and the residents are very thankful for <laughs> our help. And Jack's like, you know, we'll be sure to send supplies back to help get them on their feet. And meanwhile, the keeper is very not happy because the residents are picking the flowers and they are ruining everything. Like they just got out and they're uh, already ruining everything. He is picking such a type A. Yes, he he's like, hi. Like he he he's so mad he like can't speak. Like as it cuts to SG One just walking back to the gate as we come to the end of the episode. Oh no, no, we also get Jack and Daniel standing there looking at the keeper, and Jack goes oh, and yeah, asks yeah. him, "Is this real?" Oh and the yeah. Super tantrum starts, and then they look at each other, and I think it might be one of the first times that they blatantly do this, and they go, "It's real. It's real." In yeah. unison. Yes. And grinning and nodding at each other. This is this is prime Jack and Daniel speaking at the same time, thinking the same thoughts yes. at the exact same moment. And I love it. Yes. Yes. It's great. And then really they head is. back to the gate and the end. Yes. yes. First of all, I would like to call bullshit. On Dwight Schultz in a dress and platforms outrunning RDA and Shanks. Especially because it's like a little like shuffly run. Right. Like it's it's like the little he's like taking like the littlest tiniest steps. Right. And, and you can tell that RDA and Shanks were like holding back as yeah. they're <laughs> running down his hallway. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, dude, he's right there. Get him. Yeah. <laughs> I I I like I mean Jack and Daniel go through the ringer emotionally in this. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the episodes that I always thought kind of laid the super strong foundation, right? Yes. Um, yes. Where they start thinking alike and acting alike and uh, finishing each other's sentences and speaking at the same time. And this is where they start really syncing yeah. up. Yes. Whether you yeah. ship them or like me, you bro ship the hell out of them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's right there. I mean, it's yeah. right there. Yeah. They love each other, and it's yep. obvious. Yes. One way or another. Yep. Okay. Um. Okay. So to wrap up, uh, I know you're not Rachel, but do we have any memos from this episode? <laughs> um. Let's see. <laughs> memos. Um. Don't get sucked into a virtual reality, although I don't know how they could have avoided if you, that. If you walk into, if you okay, if you walk into a building where yes. people have tubes stuck into their heads, turn around and leave. Okay, that's a good one. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's don't, a good one. Or stay far away, at least, from the machines. Jack uh, needs to keep Benadryl in his BDU pocket. Why does Daniel not have Benadryl in his pocket? I, I don't know. I mean, they explain it away later because uh, Janet talks about him and her both getting their yearly allergy shots, right? Yeah. So they've got him on, like, super uh, yeah. fucking antihistamine trigger yeah. stuff, you yeah. know? Um, but I think it's so cute when he still had allergies. And it, it, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, when Michael Shanks sneezes, there is a very visible spray of oh, yeah. something. It's like, oh, it's like, yeah. And then he just, like, shakes his hand. And just in, in, in today, in today's 2020 climate, I'm just like, 
just, somebody give that man some hand sanitizer because that's disgusting. <laughs> just like get his mask on. Somebody get Did him you see his aerosol? It went all the way to the flower. It was gross. I'm sorry. Really I love was. Michael, but that was, was really, really gross. It was almost like he had a bottle of Afrin or something in his hand. And when I he reached just, up to cover his nose to sneeze, he squeezed that bottle. Something. Oh, yeah. man. There's uh, either that or he really sneezed. Or, yeah, maybe he did have and can make himself sneeze. Maybe he had, like, pepper or something that he, oh, like. Oh, yeah, that's, that would make him, yeah. That would make him sneeze. Maybe. maybe. Yeah. There's, there's a question for a con, if he even remembers. Beth, I Beth. Say, do you think he'll remember how he made himself sneeze in 1989, <laughs> 1999? Be like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't even I, remember, you know, did his wife. What was her name? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Got nothing. But this is, I mean, season one was good. Have a lot yeah. of classic episodes in there, you know. Yeah. And of course, we did the the season finale, season premiere arc, which I still yeah. believe is the best four episodes of television ever made together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And now, season two really becomes about hammering home the family. Yeah. And every mission they go on makes them stronger and stronger and stronger together. Yeah. Yes. So that by the end of season two, they know they cannot function apart, period. Yeah. And they gravitate toward each other if they are apart. Yeah. They still manage to find each other. Mm-hmm. And that's amazing. Yeah. That's why I that's, love the show so much. That's why, that's why we watch the show, right? Yeah. That's, the, show. Yep. that's yep. the whole freaking point okay so let's see poor sam and teal i know they didn't have much to do they didn't they because of the naquita in their blood you know because junior and jolinar they yeah they had to be spectators so we didn't go into their traumatized minds that you know later in the season um but they didn't really uh, sam looked gorgeous yeah Teal looked weird. I couldn't Teal wait looked, for yeah. that damn wig to get off his head. Yeah, that's not a good wig. No. No. I'm glad they didn't put Sam in a wig. Oh, yeah. No, she had, I mean, her hair was short for the 70s, but, but yeah. still really cute. And like yeah. I said, the, the size zero. Yeah. Just like, you know, two inches around, tiny little. Uh, yeah. It's and so 70s, complete with the, the brown leather knee boots. Yeah. The kind of suede boots with it and and the yeah. whole thing and yeah daniel rocking the 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 kid of archaeologists hippie look yep i love it yep i wonder though which of those which of those varieties that we saw was the real one what did eight-year-old daniel actually do well i don't think he would have been yelling for them to come out because he didn't know what was going to happen right he was too young to understand so, what was going on with that chain yeah so I, he was probably just like sitting on the floor playing with a toy or doodling in a book or something and then heard the chain creak and maybe yelled no as he watched it happen. Yeah. But yeah, he wouldn't have been he wouldn't have been trying to get them out because he had no reason to. And see, then you go into fanfic land, which is, you know, here's Daniel, eight years old, orphaned. Both of his parents are literal puddles. On the floor in front of him. Yeah. They call his grandpa Nick. And yeah. he won't take him in. And his other grandpa's dead. 
He's yeah. got nowhere to go. So what does he do? Does he like sleep in the museum before DCFS comes to get him? Well, I imagine the police probably would have been there fairly quickly. And by that night, I'm sure he was somewhere by the time they were, you know, in the foster system somewhere. At, even it, it, if he was waiting at a DCFS home facility for Nick to come. Yeah, yeah. Waiting for Nick to call him back or something. Yeah. Because it probably, I imagine, probably took a day. Or, it probably took a couple days to even get in touch with Nick. You know, right. that wasn't been something they did. You know, that evening. You know, and, so. and this is where they start piling the trauma, both past and present, just yes. all on Daniel. Like Michael Shanks just deals with it so beautifully. Oh my god. Broken Daniel and Dark Daniel are just delicious. I can't wait to get to Lifeboat. Stoned as fuck, I am a god, Daniel Jackson. That too. That next week is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. God, he's so hot in those robes. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Um, So the episode title for this week, The Gamekeeper. I think it's fairly obvious, but I decided to like look up Miriam Webster's definition for gamekeeper and it is a person in charge of the breeding and protection of game animals or birds on a private reserve so apparently the gamekeeper is in charge of breeding and uh i did also find a fun thing so while googling just gamekeeper to see if anything interesting came up i found this ailment called the gamekeeper's thumb which is it's uh it basically seems like a repetitive stress injury it's Uh a condition that occurs when like the inner ligament at the base of the thumb which for uh-huh. uh, technical, no, technically knowledgeable people out there is called the ulnar, the ulnar collateral ligament is injured due to overuse or trauma. Nintendo thumb. Yeah, yeah. We call it, yeah, we call it Nintendo thumb now. Back, it's actually, it's actually a real thing called gamekeeper's thumb. Oh wow. There you go. When, when the, the cause of the injury is is sudden, it it, it becomes called skier's thumb. So I guess if something, you know, oh, you, you fall and smash, catch yourself. you fall and like catch yourself with your hand out like you're never supposed to do, right. which is why gymnasts always fall in like the Superman position. Right. Because so if, if, you, ev- if you put your arms out, you're going to yeah. break them. Yep. So it's called skier's thumb. But when it's a repetitive stress injury, it's called gamekeeper's thumb. That's so, awesome. There you go. Yep. Um, so the last few times you were on, I had found uh, what uh, episode titles are in foreign countries. Would yep. you be interested in this one? Of course. Okay. Uh, so for the ones I can pronounce, uh, in French, it is Le Maître du Jeu, which is just the, the keeper of games in French. Okay. Uh, I like the Hungarian one. I don't think I can pronounce it, but the English translation of the Hungarian title is Captives of Memories. Ooh. I was like, ooh, that's good. That sounds like a JMOS title. No, I'm like, that's fantastic. I like that. Why can't we have that title in English? That's fantastic. That is. Yeah. Uh, in German, it's Virtueller Albtraum, which is Virtual Nightmare. Oh, that's yeah, a good that one, too. Yeah. I'm usually angry at the German titles because they yeah. usually cheap the hell out. But that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, the Italian is just Real- Realta Virtuale, which is just Virtual Reality in Italian. Oh, give and, away the plot, would you? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Spoilers. Yep. And then in Spanish, it's just El Guarda, which is the guardian. So Uh, there you go. Deutschel. Deutschel. Yes. (laughs) Deutschel. There you go. 
<laughs> I uh, just I I I I I could go on honestly about this forever and ever and ever and ever because you've got this, you've got prisoners, you've got yeah. need, you've yeah. got um I mean all of it. It just it's just delicious and yeah. so meaty. There's so much character growth in this first pretty well the first half of season 2. Yeah. Yeah. And then they kind of cruise and just kind of settle everything down and establish the strength of the team and and all that but yeah. season 2 is by far easily my favorite. Hmm. I think I got I think season 4 might be up there for me. Mm. Season four is really good. Yeah. Season four's got a lot of good Jack and Daniel in it. Yeah. yeah. Season two is my favorite. Okay. I love it. And and if you look at my fanfic, I think probably ninety. I think I wrote one. I wrote two. <laughs> in, I wrote two in season one. Everything else is either two or three. Okay. I'll have to go back and find it. Yeah. Well, speaking of, where can our listeners find you on the internet, Bree? If you have any interest in Stargate, ER, A-Team, Supernatural, Cobra Kai, or Dark Angel fanfic, I am Brianna25. I am on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, YouTube, make music videos, write stories on fanfiction.net and archive of our own. And I am on this little podcast. Big podcast. Um, this little podcast called Cobra Kai Companion, Companion with a K. We have 82 interviews with cast and crew right now. We are uh, approaching our 200th episode. I think the Woo-hoo. one that we released uh, someday was 182. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're getting there. And it's all about Cobra Kai. And as always, you can find us on Twitter at SG underscore rewatch or send us an email at woo SG rewatch. That's W O O S G rewatch at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to rate and review us, please. And we will see you next time for need. Bye. Pretty. <laughs>